0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We'll start in verse 35 this evening. Matthew 9.35 gives us a summary of Jesus' ministry and, uh, uh, and some very important things in his commissioning of the disciples. Matthew 9.35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, If you weren't with us this morning, we started a series called Keys of the Kingdom, and we talked a little bit about the kingdom of God and what the Bible says about it. So I'm going to take a minute and and, uh, draw from some things that we said this morning. When God created the earth, he made uh, uh, the earth and all the fullness therein and put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he established a, a, a system or if we might use the word kingdom, that was according to his plan and his purpose. Now we know that there was nothing on the earth that could hurt man. There was nothing on the earth that was unproductive or unfruitful. Every tree produced fruit and every tree produced perfect fruit. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind in any way whatsoever. Those things, sickness and disease and uh, unfruitfulness and, stuff like that, the corruption that, uh, that exists in the earth today, came as a result of the fall of man. So we know that God's original intent for the earth and for mankind was for the earth to be a perfect place, a place where everything exists in the same manner and after the same pattern as heaven. We know there's no sickness or disease in heaven. We know there's nothing that can hurt or harm mankind. We know that there's no unfruitfulness or lack of productivity in heaven. Everything works according to the way that it's been created by God. And that apparently was the pattern that God created the earth. So unless God's changed, the Bible says he can't. Unless his will is changed, and the Bible says it never changes. Then God intended for the earth to be a place that mirrored heaven. Now, we could talk about this in a lot of different ways, but healing is our subject tonight, so we'll limit ourselves to that uh, area. But concerning sickness and disease, since there is no sickness and disease in heaven, God created the earth without sickness and disease. The Bible says that God made everything that he made in the first six days. Anything that wasn't made in those first six days wasn't made by God. It says he made an end of everything that he created at the end of the sixth day. Well, what day did he create sickness and disease? Wasn't on day one. Wasn't on day two. Wasn't on any of the six days of creation. Sickness and disease is a perversion or a corruption of divine health that came upon the earth as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God's commandment. God didn't create sickness and disease. That's why there's no sickness and disease in heaven. So God intended originally... For man to live in a position, live in a place, free from sickness and disease. Now the question is, has his plan changed? you got many on the earth that say that God uses sickness and disease to teach his people. To purify them, to sanctify them, to perfect them, or whatever other term they use. But if that's the case, then that means that God is working against his, his, uh, He's working against his original intent. He's working against his original will for the earth and for mankind. If that's true, folks, then you don't know what to believe. If that's true, then the Bible's a lie and we have no sure foundation to know God in any form whatsoever. If that's true, then there is no salvation. Because our salvation is based on the integrity of God's word. And God said himself, Psalm 138 that he's exalted his word above his name. In other words, it's not a matter of what God can do, it's what his word says he will do. His word is more sure than his power. Well, if we know therefore that the earth was created to be a place without sickness and disease and that it's God's intent then and now, since his will never changes, for man to live free from sickness and disease, that explains why Jesus told his disciples... In Matthew chapter 6, when he gave them the Lord's Prayer, taught them how to pray. It's not a New Testament prayer, but he taught them how to pray. It was an interim period of time that they were praying before Jesus went to the cross to effect the plan of redemption through his sacrifice. And so he told them to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we need to ask a simple question, and that is, Would Jesus ever tell his disciples to pray something contrary to the will of God? Well, of course not. That would make Jesus a sinner. Then it's therefore the will of God, at that point in time, it was the will of God for the kingdom of God to come. It had not come at that point in time, it did not come until Jesus effected salvation on the cross. But for us, it has come. Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with outward show or observation, but the kingdom of God is within. Well, what happens when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives? Things change from within. We're made new creatures or new creations in Christ Jesus. So he told his disciples to pray in that interim period while he was ministering here on the earth, to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God wants things to be just like they are in heaven down here on the earth. That has to be true. So here where it says that Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, what's he preaching? Well, we know from uh, Luke's account, Luke chapter 4, that in his own hometown of Nazareth, he read from the prophet Isaiah and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do certain things. One of those included healing for the physical body. So the preaching the good news of the gospel, the gospel means good news. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom must include, must have included Jesus telling the people that he was anointed to heal. Well, that lines up with the rest of the verse. Jesus went about their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. We know that Jesus taught that man has authority and that people are astonished at his doctrine. They weren't just astonished at him. I'm sure there were times that they were astonished at him. But the Bible says they were astonished at his doctrine because his word was with power. He taught them that man has authority and he taught them how authority operates. So he went about their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom of God includes healing for the physical body. I'm sure that's not everything that he taught about it, but that's what pertains to us and our message here this evening. He taught the good news that the kingdom of God includes healing for the physical body. And what did he do? He healed every manner of sickness and every disease among the people. He healed every kind of sickness, every kind of disease among the people. Now, let's keep reading another couple of verses here. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd." Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Well, if the harvest was great in those days, I wonder what it's like today. The population has exploded, has grown exponentially since the time of Jesus. And so there are many multiples. I don't know how many, but there are many multiples of people alive today in comparison to the ones that were alive in his day. And he said the harvest was plenteous in his day. It must be overflowing today. So he said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. In other words, Jesus is saying there are more people that I can get to. He's saying there are more people that need me than I have opportunity to reach individually and personally. So what does he do? Chapter 10 goes on and tells us along the same lines. You know that it wasn't written in chapter and verse, just like I know. So it says, And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power, literally authority, against or over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Jesus is multiplying himself because he's saying very simply, there are more people to reach than I can get to. So he multiplied himself. Now notice he did not say, because you guys are handpicked and such special people. We know even after Jesus was raised from the dead, when Peter and John were brought before the council for healing the man at the beautiful gate. The Bible says the council, the religious leaders, the educated folks, took notice of them that they were ignorant and unlearned men. One thing to notice first about Jesus about uh, Peter and John was that they were ignorant and unlearned. Well, it wasn't their learning, it wasn't their pedigree. It didn't have anything to do with who they were as to why Jesus was able to use them then. He doesn't credit them, their training, their education, their background, or anything special about them. If that were the case, if Jesus was picking only the best and the finest, Don't you know he would have picked people that he didn't have to upbraid because of their unbelief. But several times during Jesus' ministry, it says he chastised them or upbraided them because they refused to believe what he said. Jesus multiplied himself not based on the people that were the twelve. He multiplied himself based on the need of of the multitudes. He needed somebody to reach out and do the same work as him. So he gave them power or authority to cast out or over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Tells us their names. Skip down with me to verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means near. Now, the reason it was near is because Jesus is going to the cross in just a matter of a few short years to pay the price, that price being his own blood, precious and holy blood, sinless and spotless blood, to effect the redemptive plan of mankind, the redemptive plan of God for all of mankind. So he's saying the kingdom of God is near. Well, folks, I want you to notice what he says is a characteristic of just the kingdom of God being near in their day, present and come, having come in our day. He says, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, I want you to notice what he does not say. He does not say, pray that God will heal the sick. He does not say, pray over the sick. He does not say, ask God to heal the sick. He does not say, make requests concerning the sick. He says, heal the sick. Now, upon whom is the responsibility for healing the sick? The laborers. Now, are they the ones doing the healing? No. But they're not asking God to do it, are they? That's not the instruction that Jesus gives them. You know, it's an interesting thing. You can't find of the the cases of healing that the Bible tells us about in Jesus' ministry, you can't find one time where Jesus ever prays that the sick will be healed. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? Because we're accustomed to praying for the sick. And our custom concerning praying for the sick has to do with request, making a request of God to make his power available to cause a healing result to occur. But you can't find that in Jesus' ministry, you can't find that with the disciples. Jesus said, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and heal the sick. Now, let me ask you this. If healing the sick is a result of praying for them, why did Jesus need to give them authority to cast out devils and to heal every manner of sickness and disease? See, it seems to me that we're mixing things up. The Bible says Jesus gave us authority in the name of, in His name over all sickness and disease. Every sickness and every disease must bow to the name of Jesus. Every Christian would agree to that, wouldn't they? Well, what's the point in giving us the name of Jesus that's greater than sickness and disease if our job here on the earth is to ask God to do the healing? Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? The fact that we are commissioned to do the same works as Jesus. And remember John 14, 12. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also in greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Well, if these works are going to be done by us praying and asking God to do them, then why did he say we'd do them? He goes on to say, whatsoever you call for or require in my name, King James says ask, but the word ask means to call for, require, or make a demand on. He says, whatever you call for, require, or demand in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. He said, you make a demand on his name, which means there's power in his name. You make a demand on that name, call for something related to the works of Jesus. Require that the same works that Jesus did... Be done now. And he said, I'll do it. Well, if our point or our position is relegated or reduced, really, to asking God to do it, then why did he need to give us a powerful name? He gave us the name of Jesus that's above every name so that we could do the same works as he did. Now, let's don't take this... uh, make a doctrine out of one passage of scripture turn with me over to Luke chapter 9 let's see what Luke had to say about this same account Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick Luke tells us the same thing by the Holy Ghost that Matthew told us. Jesus commissioned them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. To preach the kingdom of God. To preach that it's God's will for you to be well, just like it's His will for you to be forgiven of your sins. It's just as much the will of God for you to be well in body as it is for you to be forgiven of your sins. It's just as much the will of God for you to be well in body and free from every sickness and disease as it is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be made made righteous through his blood. God sent Jesus to pay the same price for righteousness as for healing. It's all part of the kingdom of God. It's all a means, the means whereby the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. He did not give them authority over his devils and to heal every manner of sickness and disease to pray that God would heal the sick. He sent them forth to do the work. Now they understood this. The modern church doesn't seem to, but they did. He gives them a little bit of instruction about when to go. But then in chapter 10, look with me over to chapter 10. After the 12 are commissioned to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, including healing. Other things as well, but that part pertains to us tonight. Then it says in verse 1 of chapter 10, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Then said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest, just like Matthew said. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter first say, Peace be unto this house, and if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it, and if not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. In other words, don't use your position in ministry for personal gain or to make things better for yourself. Now notice in verse 8, And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Notice it's up to them whether they received them. In the work they were sent to do. And into whatsoever city you enter. And they receive you. Eat such things that are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein. And heal the sick that are therein. And heal the sick that are therein. Notice again. It does not say and pray that God will heal the sick. They are commissioned to heal the sick. Because they've been authorized to heal the sick. They've been given authority over devils. I believe that means every work of the devil. And over every sickness and disease. Now let me ask you something, folks. And I want you to think about this very very carefully. Don't just answer quickly and religiously. Did Jesus transfer to them? Meaning the 12 and now the seventy? Did Jesus transfer to them a greater measure of authority over sickness and disease than he's given the church? If the answer to that is yes, if Jesus for any reason gave them greater authority over sickness and disease than he gave to the church, then it's of no advantage to be saved. But the church was the culmination. It was the the greatest work. The final result. That which was intended. By God to be the greatest thing that could be done for mankind. To become a part of the family of God. And the church that Jesus would build. Therefore we have to understand. Understand and conclude that the name of jesus which is above every name is greater than the authority that they had they meaning the disciples the 12 and now the 70. now it's similar in many ways but greater because there's been a change in heart we've been made new spirits new creatures in christ they didn't know what that was until after jesus finished the work on the cross So Jesus commissioned them to heal the sick. Again, not to pray that God would do it, but he commissioned them to heal the sick. Heal the sick that are therein, verse 9, therein meaning the cities that receive you. And say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Again, notice the same thing is said over and over and over again. And that is healing is connected to and is a part of the kingdom of God. Now turn with me over to to, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is answering the question that the disciples had posed about the end. When shall the end come? What shall be the signs of the end and so forth? A lot of things we could talk about, but I want you to notice particularly verse 14. Matthew 24 verse 14. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom. And again, remember he's talking about end time signs or signs of the end. He said, in this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. The word witness means with proof or evidence. unto all nations and then shall the end come. Notice one of the things that Jesus identified as a sign of the end. And that is this gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Now the disciples, who were the ones we read about in in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 9. Those 12 who were given authority to cast out devils and to heal every manner of sickness and disease the ones that had been commissioned to go into the cities and preach to them saying the kingdom of God is at hand and heal the sick that are therein. What do you think they think he means? What would they think that Jesus means where he said this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all nations with a witness or with evidence, with proof and evidence and then shall the end come. What would you, if you were one of the twelve, what would you think that Jesus is talking about? Would you think he's talking about something new? Or would you think he's talking about the same thing that he said when he gave, us, gave you authority, you and the others authority, over sickness and disease and said, go heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. What I want you to see is that healing is going to be a sign of the end. Another thing I want you to see is that healing is a part of the kingdom of God that has come. Jesus is saying this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world. Well, what's the good news or what's the gospel that we're to preach? Well, we don't preach that the kingdom of God is coming, do we? Don't we preach that the kingdom of God has come because of what Jesus has accomplished? is In our good news, what Jesus has accomplished through the shedding of his blood, the sacrifice that he made on the cross? We know that sacrifice includes salvation spiritually, freedom from spiritual death, forgiveness of sins, literally redemption from sin. And we know that it also includes healing for the physical body. We know that from what Isaiah told us that Jesus would do when he went to the cross. As well as being confirmed by the Holy Ghost in the New Testament in several different places. So when Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom, he's talking about something already accomplished. The gospel of the kingdom that's to be preached in all the world with a witness or with proof or evidence. He's saying the good news of what Jesus has done has provided healing for the physical body. That's not all it did, but that's the part that pertains to our service tonight. The good news that healing is a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God has come. Now, every other time Jesus told them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, he told them to heal the sick. What do you think Jesus would expect the church to do now that the kingdom has come, now that we've received an eternal authority, a finalized work of authority over sickness and disease, where they just had a temporary authority? See, their authority over sickness and disease ended when Jesus went to the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, there was no power or authority available in them or available to them to heal anybody. Once the work of redemption began on the cross, the window of their authority had ended. It opened for them again a few days later after Jesus was raised from the dead. Breathed on them, said receive the Holy Ghost and they were born again then they were commissioned to go into all the world. Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. One of those is uh, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So in Jesus' earthly ministry, they had a temporary authority. But once he was raised from the dead and the kingdom of God had come, not just the promise of it coming, but had been accomplished and come. And they were commissioned to go preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick worldwide. Now, with that in mind, turn with me over to James chapter 5. Is this making any sense to anybody? I think, through lack of understanding, it may have been, we may have had the right intent it seems to me that through lack of understanding, we've shortchanged what God has given the church. And we've allowed ourselves to sit back and look for God to do what Jesus said we were to do, which is heal the sick. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure people could take, uh, take this out of context. And say, well, he's saying that we've got the power to heal the sick and that we don't need God and it's all us and not not any part of God. Well, folks, if it wasn't God and God's plan of redemption, we wouldn't have enough power to blow our nose. So whatever authority there would be in the name of Jesus that's available to church and commissioned to the church to use is solely due the finished work of God, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. To accomplish God's plan of redemption. So I understand there's a fine line that we need to walk there. But in my experience. Working with people and and dealing with people ministering to the sick for 35 years. In my experience so many people are looking to God to do the work thinking that we don't have any place in it whatsoever. And that's not what Jesus commissioned the disciples to do when he was here on the earth. And it's certainly not what he commissioned the disciples to do once he went to the Father. Jesus indicated in John chapter 14 that the greater works would be a step up from what the things that had been done in his earthly ministry were. In other words, now that we're born again, now that we've got his name, now that he's accomplished the work on the cross and destroyed all the works of the devil... That's where things would really accelerate and increase. That's the way it reads to me. Doesn't it to you? James chapter 5. Verse 14 and 15. It says. Is any sick among you? Let him. Meaning the sick. Call for the elders of the church. And let them. Meaning the elders. Pray over him. Anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now being saved from sickness means being Healed. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Yeah, but see, Pastor Mike, the Bible says the prayer of faith. So we are supposed to pray. Well, there's several different words that are used for pray or prayer in these verses. The first one is where it says the elders will pray over them. It means an oratory form of worship. Does not mean request. The elders shall pray over him, anointing with all in the name of the Lord. The second time that the word pray is used, or the word prayer in verse 15, it says, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That word prayer means vow. Doesn't mean request. There's nowhere in these two verses where it talks about asking God for anything. Now let's talk about vow for a minute. If I make a vow to serve God... I'm not asking him to do anything, am I? If I make a vow to serve God, I'm declaring, I'm making a declaration that I'm going to serve God no matter what. I'm going to serve God in my life, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situation is. I'm going to serve him plain and simple. In other words, I'm making a declaration, this is how it is for me. That's what this word means. And the prayer of faith, the vow of faith, the declaration of this is how it's going to be for me shall heal the sick. Shall heal the sick. So often, and and bless people's hearts, I don't mean to be critical and, and I'm not, well, I'm not criticizing. I'm just telling you how things are. But so often people are coming looking for someone that's got a special anointing. Or someone that's got some power that they don't have over sickness and disease to help them. And your heart goes out to people and you do what you can to help them. But that just winds up where people are looking to someone, some man, some woman to do the work that only the name of Jesus can do. That only faith in the word of God can accomplish. But the way that these verses of Scripture are fulfilled, if the language means anything, means very simply this, that when the sick call for the elders, the elders begin to worship God for the results that they expect to occur. The elders begin to worship God over them, thanking and praising God for the end result of healing for the physical body. And then a declaration or a vow of faith is made That declaration is made not just by the elders. It's made by the sick himself. In concert with or in agreement with the elders, certainly. But the vow of faith is a declaration that Jesus has accomplished. Healing for the physical body by the shedding of his blood. A declaration that healing is a finished and accomplished work that healing being a part of the kingdom of God that is within us healing is the way that it's going to be for me or for you or for anyone that's sick and the Bible says that vow that declaration that looking back to what Jesus has accomplished heals the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and the Lord shall raise him up and the Lord shall raise him up see there is a work of God in this but the work of God is not us making requests that he will do something about healing our bodies the work of God comes as a result of the declaration or the vow of faith that healing is ours and this is the way it's going to be for me Because healing is a part of the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God has come, because the kingdom of God lives on the inside of me and dwells within me, then healing is the way it's going to be for me. That brings healing to the physical body, and it brings the power of God on the scene to raise them up. Now, notice the next part. And it says, And if, everybody say, if, and if they've committed sins, if they've committed sins, if they've committed sins, the reason that the Bible says "if is because not everybody is sick because they've sinned. And a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, in my experience, it's a rare thing much less common than otherwise for somebody to be sick because of their own sin. Now I say that with one qualification, and that is, I'm not calling ignorance sin. Some people are sick because they don't know that the Bible says that healing belongs to them. I'm not calling that sin. I'm calling that ignorance. That means just people don't know. But there are times where an individual's sin has opened the door to sickness in their own life. You remember that was the question in John chapter 9 when they came to the blind man, the man that was born blind. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus said neither one. It wasn't his sin. The man's sin. How could he sin before he was born? to To be born blind. And it wasn't his parents' sin. Boy, don't you know the devil's beat them up over that for years. All this boys, all this young man's life. Something went wrong with you. You did something wrong and it opened the door to blindness for your son. It's just the way the devil works, isn't it? Jesus said, "Neither is this man sin, nor his parents." He said, "But I'm here to do the works of God while it's day. The night comes when no man works." Well, what work did Jesus do? Was it the work of God for this man to be born blind? Well, if so, then Jesus heals. The, when Jesus heals the blind man, he's working contrary or counter to the will and purpose of God. Some people will say, "Well, it was God's will for this man to be born blind." So Jesus would have somebody to heal. Well, then that means it was God's will. That means God's will changed concerning that man, which means the Bible's a lie. Are you with me? So that was the disciples' question. Whose sin was it? Well, it wasn't the man's sin, and it wasn't the parent's sin. Well, then whose sin was it? Sin is always the cause of sickness in some way or another, and it goes back to Adam's sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin; and so death passed upon all men, according to Romans five twelve. It was Adam's sin that opened the door to sickness, and that's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus said, "I'm here to do the works of God while it's day. There's coming a time when I can't work." And he's talking about that time when he went to the cross. But until then, I'm here to do the works of God. Well, what are the works of God? Well, apparently it's healing because Jesus healed the man. Now, Jesus told us, and maybe you should turn here, turn back, hold your finger here in James chapter 5 because we'll come back to this. But notice in Mark chapter 11, Jesus in describing faith, the greatest scriptures, On the subject of faith, in my estimation, the greatest description of faith comes from Jesus himself. You remember the story, Jesus curses a fig tree. Next morning, they walk by there, and it's dried up from the roots. And Jesus is reminded by Peter of the events of the previous day and now the results in the tree. And Jesus answering, beginning in verse 22, said, have faith in God. In other words, he's saying faith is what performed this. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Then he says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, because this principle of faith works the way that it works. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire... When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, we usually stop reading in verse 24 because we're talking about how faith works and the principles of faith. But verse 25 and 26 is connected to it too. Jesus said, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any. If you have anything against anyone, in other words. That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now here's the question. Why in the world does Jesus go from telling about faith and that faith will change circumstances and move mountains and that by faith you can receive anything and everything from God as long as you believe you receive when you pray? Why does Jesus go from telling us those principles of faith to talking about forgiveness Or literally unforgiveness. Because he's being faithful to show us the number one hindrance to people's faith working. The number one hindrance to people's faith working. Or the number one thing that will keep your faith from working. That's a better way to say it. Is unforgiveness. Now whether you know it or not, unforgiveness is a sin. And Jesus is faithfully recording for us. The importance of us walking in love. Which is what walking in forgiveness would be. So that our faith would work effectively. Remember Paul said. Writing to the Galatians. That neither circumcision avails anything. Nor uncircumcision. But faith which worketh by love. Well if faith works by love. That means faith won't work without it. That means unforgiveness which is a step outside of love will keep your faith from working now the thing that the devil seems to tell people well either more often or as often as consistently as anything else that their faith won't work because of something they've done wrong but do you remember where we were over in James chapter 5 is any sick among you let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray literally worship God over them Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer, the vow, the declaration of faith, shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven them. Now, in order to, to satisfy these two passages of scripture, Mark eleven, twenty five, and James five, fifteen, we have to assume that the Holy Ghost is operating on the principle that every believer should want to walk in love. In other words, it would be contrary in the plan and the purpose of God for a believer to want to hold on to unforgiveness. Now, Sometimes it's hard to turn loose of. but That doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to let go. And it certainly doesn't mean just because it's hard to do sometimes. It doesn't mean that we're not required or expected to do what is necessary to forgive. But so often the devil will say, well, you've missed it. You've made a mistake. You've done something wrong. You've either done something wrong to somebody or you've committed some great sin in your life. And that's going to keep your faith from working. Well, not according to James 5.15. The declaration of faith shall save the sick, shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, and if he's committed sins, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Folks, I want you to understand something. Anyone with the right heart and the right motive toward God and toward other people can and will be healed by the declaration of faith. According to James 5.15. There is no sin, as long as you're willing to repent from it, that can keep your faith from affecting a healing cure and affecting your body. As long as you're willing to let go of it. Are you out there? That does away with the devil's number one argument that you're not good enough to receive. Because the same declaration of faith... Because healing is effected by Jesus, is accomplished by the work of Jesus on the cross. Healing is the way that it will be for me. Forgive sin just like it heals the body. The devil has no hold on you that you can't get out of instantly. How long does it take to forgive? Well, about a second. Maybe less. How long does it take to be forgiven? About a second, maybe less. How long does it take to make a declaration or a vow of faith concerning healing for the physical body? About a second, maybe less. There is no hold that the devil can keep on you that cannot be broken instantly and immediately if the Bible's true. Oh, thank God the Bible's true. Thank God the Bible's true. Now that doesn't mean all healing will be instant in its result. Where it says, and the Lord shall raise them up. Doesn't say the Lord shall effect an instant healing and a cure in them. But it begins from that declaration of faith. How long is it going to take, Pastor Mike? I don't know. Does it really matter? As long as the Lord's doing it, can't we trust him to do it in a a timely manner? Sure we can. And the vow of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. I love that. And the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. Let's just lift our hands and worship God. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus.